Hey guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I'm very excited to have Mike Isretel on the show and also Matt Jansen. Uh, I think it's going to be a really cool chat between these two. I hope you guys know Mike by now, uh, seeing as he has definitely been on the podcast the most, uh, which no one is sad about. But if you don't know Matt Jansen, I think you should uh, because he is a prolific bodybuilding coach. Um, literally this year just took, took Sean Cloroda to win at the 212 category at the Olympia, which was amazing to see. Uh, and if you are, we're typically a natural bodybuilding podcast. So I think some of our listeners at least will know that Sean was a WMBF pro as well. And so to see him climb the ranks and go into the enhanced side in what looks to be a really healthy and productive manner under you, Matt, has been crazy to see. Uh, so yeah, I definitely wanted to get you on the podcast to have a little bit of a chat. And also, I thought it'd be nice to have you both on because I think bodybuilding is changing for the better. And hopefully it always has been. But I think Matt, for yourself, you've been putting out some great information about how to do this healthily. Uh, you kind of talk about longevity, these sort of aspects. And Mike is kind of bringing the science very much to the forefront of bodybuilding. So I don't know if we want to talk about kind of the Olympia in general. I know, Mike, you're also there. How did you guys think it went? Matt, I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts about how the Olympia went. How did you enjoy it? I guess it was just nice that it all went ahead this year. Yeah, I mean, I was thrilled for the athletes that they got to be able to do it. Um, and I honestly, it was, it was a little bit of a mixed emotion week for me because there's like so much nostalgia around Las Vegas and and having it there, especially since I started attending. Um, and just kind of like, you know, for me, going to the Olympia was like going to a set schedule and set buildings and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of threw us a little bit out of the loop, you know, and I knew that like for Sean, for example, like a, a big um, exciting thing for Sean every year was to get off the plane in Vegas and they have the welcome to the Olympia billboard there in the, in the airport. So like some of those things were missing. So like the week started off a little bit slower for us. Um, but then, I mean, obviously like, uh, the, the production that they put on the way they took care of the athletes, I was very, very impressed with all that. And then, you know, just on a personal level for me, um, just being able to accomplish what we accomplished was incredible. Um, and also too, as you mentioned, it's, it's been very cool for me because I started, you know, with, within the natural community as well. And to kind of see how proud the natural community is and how they still communicate and connect with Sean, um, it's been cool to see. So, and that was his fifth. That's the fifth time you've talked, took him to the Olympia, right? Yes. Yep, yeah. That was our fifth time together. We started in 2016. That's amazing. And I know, I mean, you've been doing this a while, but you're still, you're not like super aged. I think you're younger than me, even you're like 28 30, years old, right? 31. Thir oh, you're 31. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, I think I must've listened to an old podcast where you said 28 and I didn't even look at when it was released. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, to, to see you do that, I mean, at a pretty young age is, is amazing. Cause I know, I mean, any bodybuilding coach, that's pretty much the the goal, right? Is to, yeah, to get I mean, someone that, to win the Olympia. The goal for me since we started, you know, since I started this was to, to basically be able to take a, an athlete to a level that I didn't think I would be able to go to myself. Right. Um, so. And I think for you, Mike, it, it's somewhat similar with uh, Jared and the goals and ambitions that you both have for him and uh, taking him to this kind of, I guess, similar heights within the IFBB and then to the Olympia. He just turned pro. How did you think the Olympia went um, and how do you see it changing? Yeah, um, uh, I think it was a really fun time. Uh, Orlando is warm, which is cool in December. So already we're off to a good start. Vegas is not as warm as people think in December. It's actually uh, like 50 degrees or something. 
Um, it was cool. We got a chance to train and film a bunch of content in the gym in, or gyms in which a ton of the literal Olympians were training that whole week. So seeing these people peak in real life was like fascinating. Um, also seeing how Jared looked compared to them in the gym and they now know who he is because he's a pro. For some reason, like as soon as you turn pro, there's like this Illuminati secret network. They all come up to him. They're like, what's up, man? Congratulations. I'm like, oh, fuck, what about me? You know what I'm saying? I'm out <laughs> here too. Um, but uh, it's kind of cool seeing Jared like standing next to them. And I'm like, oh, this guy could be on the Olympia stage in a while and not stand, you know, not really look uh, off at all. This is kind of trippy because you know, we've all had to think of the same experience of when I opened my, out my first muscle magazine, I never in a million years thought I was going to look like any of these people or anyone I knew was going to look like, they just look completely superhuman. Um, and now that, you know, folks that I'm associated with look something like them, uh, it's just really wild. And we have big aspirations for Jared, just to clarify, I'm not Jared's coach or just his friend. And I was, I was his professor, but now we're on very even level of teaching each other things. And he looks at my stuff. I look at his. So I'm just super, super proud of the guy. I think he's going to go really, really far because his genetics are just completely insane. He's going to be born with no waste or whatever. Um, as far as the Olympian general, I will say one thing. I think as soon as, and uh, Matt, I would like to hear, and Steve, your thoughts on this, whether or not you, you thought of this. As soon as Big Rainy walked out in the first comparisons, in my mind, what popped up was this is a litmus test to see if the Olympia is as corrupt as people say or actually quite fair. Because if big, as soon as Big Ramey turned around and hit a rear double by, my first thought was if he doesn't win this, the whole thing's fucking rigged. Like not the whole thing's rigged psycho type of conspiracy shit, but like there's some bullshit going on. Whereas like when he won, like, and especially one more thing, when Brandon Curry placed ahead of Phil Heath, I'm like, all right, there's some fucking justice in this world. Did you guys get that sensation as well? Like, because if they yeah. won and beat them, I would have been like, what the fuck is going on? He looked great, but just not enough. I I was actually, like, honestly thrilled with that. And I, I think due to, you know, I don't know how much you guys know about the, you know, the IFBB culture, but Jim Mannion actually wasn't there because he was in, you know, an operation and due to COVID and, you know, germs and all that, he didn't go. So, so that was like Tyler's first time of like truly being in the head role on the Olympia stage. And I was, I was honestly thrilled because one of the biggest things about the Olympia is not only do you need to beat the champ, but you need to like destroy the champ to gain the, gain the title. Um, and on Friday night, I started seeing, cause Sean was the last group to go. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for, for Chris and, you know, that team of the current title holder for the 212. So when we, you know, all throughout the day on Friday, I'm like, like, Sean, like you look phenomenal, but yet we still have to take out the champ. And I don't know if we've done enough to do that based off of what the Olympia basically is all about. Um, but then as the, the placings were coming on Friday night, you, you know, you saw one title holder change and another title holder change. And then, you know, Shanique lost, which that in of itself was a big deal because she's been so dominant. And, you know, I said to him, I said, this very well could be your night because of how these things are happening. And you're exactly right. I, I thought the same thing. I, I think based off of where they placed Rami on Friday night, they were still kind of making him earn it, even though in my opinion, it was like glaringly obvious. Um, but I, but I definitely, I agree with you hundred percent. They got it right. I mean, there was no way they could deny him of, of that title. I think for me, uh, this is actually probably the first Olympia I've properly followed. 
um, till this point, not really. And I don't know what changed. I don't know if social media has grown to make it bigger or if this year because of just the fact that it went ahead and there weren't so many natural shows. Uh, but I, I just enjoyed like uh, seeing them all side by side. And I definitely had the placings the way that they had it in terms of like Big Rami having it. And then I, just, I love uh, Brandon Curry's physique and his stage presence for some reason. It's just like he glows on stage to me. So I was glad to see him come second as well. Yeah, that's the big thing for me. So Big Ramey winning is just like food for the soul. But the fact that, because a lot of people, you guys know Instagram comments are just like pure vile awfulness. That a ton of people were saying like Brandon Curry only won because Phil wasn't there. And he was like a paper champion and you didn't really have anyone to compete against. And Phil was going to crush you when he comes back. First of all, the fact that Big Ramey beat everyone's amazing because everyone always knew when Big Ramey was going to be on, there was no beating him by any mortal man. And second of all, because Brandon placed ahead of Phil, it was kind of like, like if I was Brandon, I'd be of course pissed that I lost the Olympia, but I'd be like, you know what? I got some fucking respect today. And because everyone's like, Phil's going to, because a lot of people were like, Phil comes back, he's going to fuck everyone up. Like you, you guys have just been playing around while he was gone and he's really just the forever champ. And because Brandon placed ahead of him, and when you looked at the two of them, you're like, that makes sense that he did. Like Brandon, it was like, yo, this is a legit Olympia champion. Like he's not just a guy who was here in an off year. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And something I wanted to talk about here, and I mean, Sean is a great example of this with the fact that you've been to five Olympias and now like taking the title with him. And Matt, when I've heard you talk, and also we know this through when Mike's talked about things, it's just how important time is with this game. You you can't rush the process, whether that is like drugs and taking that slow, whether that's training, not getting injured. Uh, so I, I'd love to hear about some of your kind of experiences, Matt, and how you keep your guys like healthy uh, whilst you're trying to take them to the best they can be. Well, yeah, I mean, so first thing I'm going to say is I'm not... Um... I don't want to paint a picture here that that Sean was healthy on stage by any means. I think that's important. Um, and I also want to say that we are my goal is to keep the guys healthy within not, not only the assumed risks, but also their goals. So that's going to be different for every individual. Um, one thing just really quick, I want to backtrack really quick. I, I love drawing parallels to athletics because I'm just a huge sports fanatic. And what you just said about timing and the importance of timing um, Nick Saban in Alabama, they won the national championship this past week. And since 2007, since he's been at Alabama, every athlete that's committed three years to him within his program has won a national championship. And when I heard that statistic, I mean, it just, it, it, it hit me so hard. And, and I also could just correlate that to bodybuilding. Like you're, we're literally looking at the best athletic program in the United States at the top level. And if you commit to that top level, you're, you're going to accomplish that goal within three years. So now correlate that to bodybuilding where people might not already be at that top level, not being a top recruit. And, and I think within our world of needing to have things now, people want this turnover process like overnight, you know, but yet we have an example of the best athletic group within our culture. And that alone is a three-year process. You know, so if you're not already at the top of your sport and you're and, and that's a three year process and you need to expect longer than that. You know, so then going back to Sean, when I took over with Sean in 2016, he was last place or 16th that year at the Olympia, which is considered last place. Um, and we we've had this belief in each other and this systematic approach of, OK, we're going to add 
we basically set to aim five to seven pounds a year. And, that, and that's been our goal every single year. It wasn't like, you know, we have to win the title in two years. It's like, we just have to keep knocking guys off one by one, you know? And I knew structurally and just how bubbly his muscle is. Like if we continued this five to seven year process year in and year out of, of poundage per year, it would come. Um, and that was the belief that we had in each other. But the, the main thing that I do with Sean, you know, that, I got a lot of compliments off of this year was his midsection in relation to the rest of his body. Um, I always based his entire food protocol off of his digestion. So I never want him to stand it all day long. And I, I want to make sure he's digesting food. Well, we specifically like he doesn't eat steak. He never eats steak because he doesn't feel like he digests it well, you know, and that's quote unquote, like a typically a must have for, you know, top level bodybuilders, but he doesn't use it. So one of the things that I do is I think a lot of health issues actually start in the gut. Um, so just kind of managing those first and foremost, and then we continue to do blood work. Obviously, I'm, I'm big on health supplementation. I think within the risks involved, you know, it's, it's literally insurance. I've seen huge changes in blood work from guys that consistently use health supplementation versus guys that think it's a crock. Um, so that's been a big difference as well. Um, you know, but again, like I want to say like for Sean Clarita on the Olympia stage, he by no means was he healthy while he was up there. I don't want to give the bad, uh, you know, a, a misrepresentation there. Yeah. I think it's uh, as healthy as hopefully he could be sure. <laughs> under those circumstances. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think hopefully a lot of people aren't under the kind of misconception that ex taking to bodybuilding to staging for a natural is not healthy, but go on, Mike, I know you had a point. Uh, yeah. Like, and this is something Matt and I have talked about in other contexts before, there's a very big difference between short term being in an interesting position with blood work when you're competing like physically like the several weeks before and then on stage versus kind of always being in the crank mode of your blood work always sucks. There's waves and times and places and the marginal benefit you get from always being on fifth gear is small compared to how much health damage you're doing. There's always these guys that no one remembers that are, look gigantic, lean, and physically red at every single expo. And you're like, hey, when's your next contest? They're like, it's not, I'm not even prepping. Like, you're like 7% body fat and you weigh 300 pounds. What do you mean you're not prepping? And like, yeah, man, it's just, you know, just, just living the life. And they're like, no, 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 you're running 1500 trend. That's what you're doing. And then you can call that living the life, but you're dying every minute you are awake, you're dying. And the thing is, if you push ahead on your mass phase, pull back, relax, push ahead, pull back. And then in contest prep, you ramp up, maybe charitably, you, you use half the total gear, uh, total uh, amount of drugs that you would throughout the year. And you lose maybe five pounds of total muscle. And then what that really means is next year, you still have five pounds more muscle, but you have 90% more of your health intact. Because if you crank the shit all the time, never any times of low stuff, never any times of backing off. A lot of guys like orals all the time, Matt. I'm sure you've met people who are like bucking around orals. And like, I know you like the pumps, but you are going to die. So it's just one of these situations where... You, there has to be this understanding, and this is a real big deal and a big switch from natural to enhanced. When you're natural, yeah, you have masked, uh, your masked look and you have your cut look, but you generally like there's trade-offs between the two, like you're bigger in one and leaner in the other, but you always kind of look pretty good You or like how you're used to looking. If someone catches you at the wrong time and you're an enhanced athlete, you could look like you sort of bodybuild, but what the fuck happened? Like, who is it, Matt, that caught a lot of flack for that? Sean Roden went Roden, to a, yes. uh, 
like uh, an expo and they, he, they were like, what the hell? Like you're Mr. Olympia. You look like shit. And he's like, I don't care what you guys think. Cause come the Olympia, I look like Mr. Olympia. And like Sean Rogan was like in his mid forties and healthy as shit. It's like, all right, you can crank all the gear you want. What's going to happen? Like I, it's using a ton of shit, especially toxic shit year round doesn't get you what you think it gets you that's good for peaking and for breaking plateaus but if you take it all the time your body kind of gets used to it and the health stuff is always bad but the plateau breaking just isn't there matt if you could add in anything to that i mean i I think that was i think that was excellent um yeah and, and honestly too like responsible athletes do the responsible thing you know so even with sean like sean honestly one of the things that i love about sean is he doesn't care how he looks at all any day except for the day that he steps on stage he doesn't do it for any gratification out of anybody else he doesn't take his shirt off ever he trains in hoodies and sweats all year long and because he truly loves the sport at its purity you know and, and sean not to the extent of sean roden and and sean roden and i are friends so this isn't against him but sean is also one of those guys that doesn't have this wild look all year because for us that's not what it's about and, and realistically, as Mike just noted to the, the reality of the situation is, and, you know, especially in this Instagram world that we live in, the people that look crazy all year long that you're looking up to are pushing things all year long. And that's the reality of the situation on the, on the male side, on the female side, that's how it is. Like you, I mean, especially the, especially the females, you cannot, re, you know, hold these extremely low levels of body fat and have striations in your shoulders all year long unless you're just pushing the threshold up in terms of being in a deficit way too long, um, not giving your body a rest from that. And then also, you know, using supplements that are just, you know, anabolics that are going to create that look. Yeah. I think that's actually really interesting to hear that parallel versus like in the natural scene, there's definitely people who, and because of the Instagram scene and everything and people end up staying lean to like the too often so the hormones aren't in the best place they can't train as productively they're not putting themselves in a surplus for extended periods of time so it's interesting to hear there's the same parallel but i guess these guys are maybe improving but they're worsening their health dramatically i got a quick story on that um one of the first things i ever heard about trend years ago was that like some uh, person who i consider someone who knows things said that like yeah man a lot of these guys what they'll do is they'll take trend and they just get to eat ice cream and pizza and they're still lean. And I was talking about later when I had more intimate experiences with it and saw blood work results. I'm like, boy, is that a real stupid way to use trend? You know, like it's like, wow, like that's just what you want is to be lean eating ice cream pizza at like an insane tax to your psychology and health. Like you didn't really think that through. So I think, um, you know, that's the very wrong way to use it. Like, there's you get into business mode to accomplish thing it's short term you get it done and then you back away and then you don't look like superman all the time but that's okay because the enhanced side offers you that dial at any time you want to turn it up you can turn it up so like if you're natural and you like walk through a restaurant and someone's like hey can i take a picture with you and then they say like oh man i thought you were bigger in real life like that fucking hurts and there's nothing i can do to change that and that doesn't take years but like if you're enhanced and you're off or you're on trt 
or just lower shit, or you're a little fluffier. And someone's like, oh, I thought you were leaner last I saw you. You're like, yeah, true. And they're like, "You, what happened? I'd be like, well, I'm not in business mode right now, motherfucker. And they're like, well, if anyone pushes back, you'd be like, give me eight weeks and I'll look like you've never fucking thought possible. And it's like, I can, we can always turn the dials just because you can turn them doesn't mean they should always be turned up. I think in Instagram culture, like Matt said, a lot of people struggle with that because when you're opening yourself up to these tools, you're like, wait a minute. I can be jacked and lean and eat what I want and post on Instagram that I have abs and veins all the time. Let's do it. I just have to inject this weird red substance into me all the time. And then your doctor says like, hey, you know, like your liver doesn't really exist anymore. The MRI didn't pick it up. So shit like that. It's a lot of maturity is required to to do the best with this because these are powerful tools and they require maturity to operate properly. And Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually, because... I love this stuff. And, you know, I watch you guys and, and I think you have a very, very good, healthy relationship with basically as soon as you finished your prep, you went right back into, okay, what can I do to improve now? And for you, that meant calories, correct? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I have yeah, no, you know, and I think that's, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. So and I um, think that's another, even for me, there's times when, when you push to that extreme level of condition, psychologically, it's, it's hard to let that go. You know, so then you look at all the variables that got you to that point, and it's also hard to let those variables go. But this is where you can't be short-sighted in your approach to bodybuilding. Anybody that's short-sighted in their approach to bodybuilding is going to constantly be hindering their health. I mean, there's there's no two ways around it. You know, and I, I had a very real conversation with a female athlete this morning who basically came to me and said, hey, I know my blood work is really messed up, but... Um, and, you know, my response to her is, you know, until you get rid of that, butt, you're never going to be able to fix this. This is not a, you didn't short-term get yourself into this issue. You're not going to short-term get yourself out of this issue. If you continue to compete, you're only going to make it worse, but it's so hard for let, for people to let go of that, like momentary satisfaction of looking at themselves in the mirror and looking superhuman. They, they really struggle with it. Matt, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. How do you sell your services or do you even, because at this point you're so popular, you probably don't have to do a whole lot of selling, but have you been in a situation before where someone who was working with you and got XYZ results because you are interested in their health to some extent goes to another prep coach that's really like we all just know isn't interested and there's at least five guys I could name but won't out of civil, out of civility um, that just don't seem interested in people's health whatsoever. Um, is there a situation in which like you lost a guy or a couple of girls or something to that person and they go on and win stuff and make these Instagram posts that are like, oh man, the switch was great working with XYZ guy is amazing. And you know, they're fucking like their insides are fucking nothing at this point. Is there like a, a what is your feeling about that when you scroll through Instagram and see them make the post like, man, the switch to XYZ coach was amazing. My, the other guys I work with that great. Do you like have, do you have like any like, like impulses to like comment on their post, like good luck getting fucked up by this person. Like we had a long-term plan you didn't want to follow, or are you kind of at peace with that? Like, uh, I mean, I would say, I would say my pride always, you know, I have to to deal with my pride in that. Um, I mean, that, that to me, that's what losing people, regardless of the reason why is still something that I struggle with because um, I do care, you know, and, and I do care relationally about people. Um, but I, I, as soon as you said that, I mean, I definitely could just rattle off people's names that have had that have happened to, but what, what I do really enjoy is when these people leave me, go to that person and then eventually come back and say, look, you know, I, I went to the other side. I realized what happened 
And now I'm back because I realize it's not a better, a better approach. You know, I, I felt horrible. Um, my training suffered. I thought my training would be so much better. My training suffered because I couldn't breathe during my sets. You know, I just felt my blood pressure up the whole time. Like, you know, you hear all that. Um, so that when, when you stick to your guns and people leave and then the real, the real payout is when those same people come back to you, um, you know, and just, and realize that what you were doing with them wasn't just for that one year plan, but maybe a three-year plan or a five-year plan. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. I think this is something I've seen you talk about before, Matt, where you talk about kind of clients looking for that unicorn and you kind of preach that the, the athletes you see have the most success are those who just work hard at executing your essentially a simple plan. You don't preach complicated things from what I, I can tell. And um, yeah, if you can talk to that, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like, you know, I even had uh, just a few weeks ago, I had an athlete that I've been working with for three months, basically approach me and say, hey, I want the relationship that you and Sean Clarita have. And to me, it was, it, it's frustrating to hear that because it's like, you're basically asking for a, a five-year relationship in three months. And and one thing about me is, is I don't force relationships. I'm real. Um, and, and real relationships take time, just like a, you know, a husband and wife or a girlfriend situation. Like you guys aren't best friends day one, you know, and you don't really know. I mean, you don't really know each other, somebody that you're living in the same house with, unless you really pay attention. Um, you know, so like when I work with somebody, what I'm trying to do is just really set realistic expectations, be hard on them when they need to be, you know, when, when things need to be stern, um, but just really set a realistic path of, of what needs to happen, how it needs to happen. I really, really like to base everything around the training component. Um, and that to me is like the center of the programming and then everything else supports that, which I think that is one of the biggest gaps within our bodybuilding subculture and some environments right now is the training to me, it's, it, it boggles my mind, but the training's either not addressed at all, or it's just an afterthought or it's, Hey, just go in and, and make yourself feel good. Um, and then everything else is going to do the job. Go ahead. Matt, what you've done, and I, I will name names here, what you've done with Nick Walker's training has been nothing short of miraculous. Um, you clearly knew who he was before he worked with you. And I followed him just because I thought he had the biggest arms I've ever seen. And, you know, it's just like an inspiration follow. And I would legit, and I, I'm comfortable saying this right to him, the way he used to train was straight up like cringy at times. You're like, yeah. what the ever loving fuck are you doing? Like incline presses with 500 pounds, like a third of a range of motion. I'm like, yeah, I know you're big and fucking strong. You're going to fuck yourself up doing this. The stimulus to fatigue ratio of something like that is like, yeah, you get some stimulus to the pecs, but like, how do your elbows feel? How do your shoulders feel? And he was young, gifted and strong. So he wasn't paying the cost of that yet, but he was good. And then like, what, you know, on my end and Steve's end, we get to hear from, you know, Instagram people like, well, the pros are huge and they train with partials. So they throw around weight and their technique's not great. So like, it doesn't matter. And we're like, oh, it matters in the long term. And then you come around and you, I just watched like over a period of about two or three months, half his weight went off the bar. His range of motion improved by like 50% or more. 
and all the like he's using weights on that hack squat that I've used and his legs are growing and growing and growing. I don't know. He, I don't know. It would be funny if you like found his old notebooks from how much he used to hack squat uh, to how much he does now, but I've legit seen him get four plates in a hack squat and go all the way full range of motion and just get fucked up and his legs are only growing. And it's amazing because I mean, please tell us, but he must be like, wow, my joints feel better. Or like, what, what was that? Was that a difficult process? Because talking a guy out of heavy weights is like, gotta be fucking tough, you know? It, it honestly wasn't. And I also want to give credit to Nick because he, he's so coachable. Um, and, and also too, he's all, like every morning he wakes up and literally all he cares about is improving. You know, and if somebody's going to show him a better direction, he's not only going to try to implement that, but he's going to try to improve upon that. You know, so now like awesome. when I see him train, it's not even all my work. It's more so him being so in tune with simple principles that we've discussed and him continuing to improve upon them. Um, and he is like for his age, the, the amount of body work that he gets done and, and all these things, because he, he literally just wants to be the best in the world. That's all he cares about. Um, but within that, something else I just want to say about Nick, not to get like emotional with him is, is his inner circle. He takes care of his inner circle. He makes sure he knows how much of people, you know, that he appreciates those people. Um, you know, so back to that training, like Nick trains this way now, because I think as an athlete, he's been able to mature and realize what the end goal is for him and how to get to that end goal as healthy as possible, whether it's with blood work, whether it's with his joints, whether it's the fact that. Um, he also had, when we were prepping for USA's in 2018, he did tear his hamstring. He didn't tell anybody. Um, but I think that that woke him up a little bit, you know, like, so he's very, very aware of not creating an environment where injury can be present. Um, and, and that's how he trains. So he still trains extremely hard. Um, he trains to complete fatigue of the muscle, but he does it in a very controlled way that just as, you know, as you said, it just makes sense. It makes a lot more sense. It's a trip to see. Steve, you might know this guy's name. Uh, I don't, I'm going to butcher it. Cuba Killian or something like that. Cuba. Um, yeah. Cuba. From the, he's so UK he's, based, right? He's a UK based guy and he's, he's a pro and he's jacked. I literally watched him take his training from just like insane swinging around bullshit to like really strict technique and minding the logbook and going up by little uh, over time in like two months time. He just like woke up at one point and was like, fuck all this. And his technique improved wildly. And it's like, it's like really amazing to see people go through this process because there's so much of a history of just big jacked guys doing crazy shit with weights that just doesn't make any damn sense. And when, you know, the top, like I literally refer to people now when we're having discussions with well, the pros use shit technique. I'm like, have you seen Matt Jansen's guys? Have you seen XYZ? Have you seen Cuba? And they're like, no. I'm like, go look these guys up. Go look at how Sean Clarita trains. And it's like, oh, like they're actually using controlled movements, planned progressions, longer ranges of motion, and they're not just egotistically banging themselves against the wall. And it's unbelievable. Like this, we're in the midst of a revolution, I think, in, in professional bodybuilding where people are waking up to the fact that they don't actually have to half squat 900 pounds to get big quads but if you put a wedge under your feet to get weightlifting shoes and you do full squats with 400 you will have as big of quads as you could possibly have with your genetics and it's just like awesome to see and matt like i think you're a big part of this because like i read your posts and you're always talking about like focus on the muscle focus on execution quality comes first 
And like people have said this before, then posted videos on swinging with 500 pound bent rows, which is frustrating to see because they're like quality first and then they're swinging around. Like, what is it that you think quality means? But your guys and you are actually doing it. It's just awesome to see. Thank you. Thanks. And I guess this is a good place because I actually wanted to get you guys on to talk about what are some of the things that are going to bring better and better Olympians uh, uh, in terms of like training, nutrition practices. And I guess one of those is you've already named it kind of being more careful about execution um, and quality execution. And um, I don't know if there are any others that you think are you're trying to bring to the table, Matt. Is there anything else you think people should be focusing on? So I, uh, when you emailed me initially and you talked about this podcast, one of the things I think you said is, is how we are continuing to transcend bodybuilding culture. You said something along that lines, like we're not just stuck in the same rut. Um, and I wanted to say, like, I think in some ways, I think being stuck in the same rut is, is beneficial um, because I feel like some people out there are just basically they're set out just to prove the system wrong. Um, and in some ways I don't think the system needs correcting, but then in other ways, I think that we do need to improve upon the system. So for example, um, I still 100% believe in a tried and true, um, basically hard water cut for some athletes in terms of the, their best look on stage, you know, and I know, I feel like as we get, you know, more and more advanced in terms of our research, that's more and more frowned upon. But yet sometimes if you look at the, the, the effect on stage and you go ask that person what they did, they're going to tell you they pulled their water hard, you know? So in some instances, like I do think that we don't need to reinvent the wheel with everything. And then in others to, to continue to improve bodybuilding and make bodybuilding better. I think when it comes to the training aspect, it's, it's just making people aware of what truly works. And just because somebody else did it doesn't mean that it's the most effective route for yourself to do. Um, for example, I love Branch Warren. I love him. You know, that that's just the first one that pops into mind. I know um, exactly where this is going. Yeah, I, I know like I would love for every athlete to take branches, Branch Warren's approach to his passion for bodybuilding, um, his work ethic for bodybuilding, but I think that could also be approached in such a smarter way. Um, you know, and, and also too, I mean, I I've seen it cause I've been on the inside of the culture, honestly, in order to get the, the Olympia athletes better, most of them need to train as hard during their off season, when they're off cycle, when they're not enhanced, when they're not fully gassed up as they do when they're in prep, I think that alone would make a tremendous difference. And Matt, what by training hard, what is that to you? Is that training to failure? Is that, uh, if you want to expand oh, yeah. on that? In simple terms, training hard to me is taking a set within the muscle group without manipulating your form to continue to get reps as, as far as you can take it. Cool. Um, that to me is what training hard really is. And, and I think if you were to put 10 guys in a room, even possibly 10 pros and, and just say that to them, I would say it depending, I mean, there's, there's definitely outliers, but I would say probably half would be able to implement that and half wouldn't meaning that they don't, you know, they don't even know their true capabilities. Um, you know, for example, I worked with Nathan Diasha, um, complete freak, absolute freak in the gym. Um, and I think the, the initial part of us training together was truly learning what he was capable of, because what he would ask me is, is how many reps do you want me to get on this set? And my simple response was, I, I want you to, I just want you to go until you can't go anymore. 
you know, whereas he had up to that point had been programmed. Like if you get 12 and get 12, well, if you can get 12, but you really can get 17, then, then why not get 17? And that, that gap of gaining those five reps every week, week in and week out, obviously you're not going to continue to gain five reps a week, but just continuing to push the threshold on what your body's truly capable of. That's where the differences really come into play. Yeah. I know from seeing some of your stuff, you're very big on kind of tension being the prime driver of hypertrophy, which it is, um, and looking to progress the logbook and adding bits of weight here and there. Uh, I know Mike, you had something to say, didn't you? Yeah. So I think just to add to that, um, there, there maybe not needs to be, I think it's coming and I think it might be happening in parts of the bodybuilding community, but I think it hopefully will continue is this synthesis of what bodybuilders say with what they're actually doing, what they preach with, with what they're actually doing. Like I've read flex magazine since 2002 and it's the same shit all the time. I make sure to get a deep stretch, powerful contraction, control the weight. Don't let it control you. Every motherfucker says that shit. And you look at videos and you're like, what the fuck? Like this man is being electrocuted while in a bent row position. That's as far as I can see what's going on. And what I think is happening over time is that the wiser folks in the industry, sometimes the older folks in the industry are having this trickle uh, down, I guess, or trickle out effect of um, they get a chance to work with them. So people go and train with someone like John Meadows or people train with Matt Jansen or people train with, they come and get tortured by Jared and I, and they're humbled with how much weight comes off of the bar and how much of a range of motion expansion they have to have for that real deep stretch. They used to say they did, but never actually did because it gets fucking painful down there. And you look like a little bitch because you're lifting three plates and people are used to you lifting five. And in addition to that, that focus, because people talk about like bodybuilders talk about, it's not about weight on the bar. It's about feel of the muscle. And then they like, they're squatting 600 pounds halfway down. They're like, I don't, I don't think you understand what you're saying. Now I think there's a movement to taking sets close to failure, but not just failure, technical failure of like when you're doing flies, like squeezing that last little bit, holding at the top and then slowly expanding and you want to quit because your chest is done. Someone's yelling at you and you fully stretch, you squeeze again. You do a couple sets like that. You get a shitload of growth. Your joints don't hurt at all. You really can push the logbook because you're really actually trying and you're writing down what you're doing. And you get this unbelievable high quality output, huge stimulus with just not as much fatigue and everything else as you're used to. And it's this amazing thing where now you're living what you used to say because bodybuilders say the weight doesn't matter. To some extent, that's true. And it, the stretch is everything. You have to have a peak contraction. You have to control the weight. Now more people are doing that. And that's changing to a cultural shift, I think, where when all these guys, like when Nick Walker does flies with a similar weight that I do flies with, and he's twice my size, I can start to believe as, let's say I, let's say I was in high school, I would look at that and be like, I want to be like Nick Walker. I would use good technique and I would push every set close to failure instead and no disrespect of like the Ronnie Coleman era, which is like, okay, put as much weight as you can in the bar and just kind of move around. Like how many people have done that? How many people never made it anywhere because of that? I think we are seeing that change with Cuba, with a ton of other guys, with Matt Jansen's people of actually 
practicing what they preach of focusing on the muscle, focusing on the big stretch, focusing on the contraction. And now that you have all those three, you push it real close to failure because people sometimes think like, well, all that focus stuff, it's like I'm doing Pilates. Like I want to fucking work. Let's put a ton of iron on the bar. No, 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 no. You don't need a ton of iron. You burn the iron with good technique. And when people go train with Matt Jansen, they realize like, they're like, you know, I'm sure you've had the situation, Matt, where they're, you're like, how much do you hack squat? They're like, seven plates aside. You're like, let's start with three and work up. And by the time they get to four and a half plates, they do a set of 12 to complete failure. You have to peel them out of the machine and you're like, seven plates, huh? And they're like, I, I don't, I don't, I guess not. And it's like, well, you're actually hack squatting for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. I think it's good. It's coming think, slowly. Right. I mean, like you said, people's, people's what they're saying actually matching up with their actions. I mean, there's several guys right now, like Hunter Labrada does a great job of this. Um, Ian Valier does a great job of this, you know, obviously Nick. So like, it's, it's good to see that this culture shift is happening with guys that are actually doing what we're discussing here. And Matt, out of interest, I think I saw, but I, I'll let you speak for it. So who were your early influences? Where did you get your kind of training philosophy from? Why didn't you start out with the kind of, I guess, Ronnie Coleman, short range of motion, big heavy weights? What made you focus more on the, the quality repetitions? Well, honestly, again, like I was an, I was an athlete growing up. I played soccer in college. Um, so as I made this transitional shift to bodybuilding, I still kind of looked, I, I just made parallels. Like, I love Kobe Bryant. I love Kobe Bryant's mindset. I love, you know, Tom Brady and his approach to the game. So I've always tried to take like, and, and this is something I talk about a lot on Instagram when I make posts is like Tom Brady still goes out and throws routes. He's 40 something years old. He's the best in the world. He's still going out and practicing routes. Why? Because he believes that he can still marginally get better in those patterns. You know, um, LeBron James still goes and shoots free throws. So if these guys at the top of their sport are continuing to work on the fundamental basics of execution within movement patterns, to me, it's simple within bodybuilding that we should be doing the same thing. You know, like I've always tried to take pride in my execution because within bodybuilding, where so many things are outside of our control in terms of the final product on stage and who you're up against and a judging panel that is objective at, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not choosing based off of a set standard then it's up to us to control the things within our, you know, our grasp as much as we can. Now that, that, that doesn't mean that I've not had a plethora, you know, like I, I owe a lot of my training knowledge. You know, I worked with Neil Hill for a while and more of a mentorship role. Um, absolutely thankful for the, the, the role that he's played in my development. Basically anything that Dante Trudell has said for a long time, I've listened to um, and tried to do my best to understand and replicate, uh, you know, so those are just two guys right there, but to me, I, I, I think that we should view, I mean, in, in all phases, in terms of periodization, in terms of sports cycles, like if we viewed bodybuilding more like athletics, I just think overall we would be more successful. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. And I'm glad you guys actually to, to pull it back to your kind of talking about training hard in that it, I think it's easy to go in and train hard, but it's hard to train harder in the way that you're describing there, where 
the muscle you're intending to challenge is the limiting factor because the degree of effort and control to ensure that that is the limiting factor is the, the challenge and keeping your technique solid and safe. And that's going to lead to better fatigue management, less injuries overall. And you're going to be able to do the five years of training and improving every year versus being injured half the time and not being able to progress. So I think that's such a, a great message to every single bodybuilder out there, I think. A lot of times it requires a big shift in mindset too with bodybuilders. Like people will be like, oh man, I felt good today. So I threw another plate on the machine. Like you, yeah. you went out by a plate? What the fuck were you doing before? Like did your technique wildly change? How's your home? So you got to also humble yourself a lot with this shit. Like if you put on five pounds a week, like on two and a half pounds a week on the bar after 12 weeks, if you really going close to failure the whole time and your technique either stays the same or gets better. Damn, dude, you're putting on a lot of muscle safely. And I think especially for enhanced guys that like felt good today. So I put a, threw an extra plate on fucking stupid as rocks. That's how you pull your pack off the bone. I mean, I'll give you guys a formula for how to pull your pack off the bone. Come off a contest prep, don't well, sometimes it happens like fuck, I've pulled my packs a shitload, but you weren't trying to do this. So if you want to be like Matt and I and fucking injure your chest, but you really want to do it on purpose, here's how you do it. You come off of contest prep where you had trend strength, and then you don't do anything for three or four weeks, but just like have margaritas and don't eat and don't die and just disappear. Nothing wrong with that inherently. Then you get that bug again. You're like, fuck, 2021 is gonna be a major year, and you hop on. Three grams of shit and just fucking Anadrol, 100 mg of Anadrol. You blow up like crazy. And within three weeks, you're like, I feel fucking great. And you go in and you incline 455 for a set of three, whereas last week you did 365 for a single. And then it just comes off. And you're like, what the fuck happened? Injuries absolutely happen even if you do your best to avoid them. But you can give an injury one of two ways. You can be like, fuck, I hurt my pack. And you look back and you're like, Shit happens. I did everything right. Sometimes it happens. Or you could be like, what the fuck was I thinking? I'm a fucking idiot. And a lot of people have that thing where they just, especially with enhanced, the strength you get neurologically when you start ramping during a mass phase is not explainable to a natural athlete. It's like you're a different person every three days. And you you like physically pick up a 40-pound dumbbell and you're like, this is not 40 pounds. This is 30. There's no way these weights are mislabeled. Yeah, but your connective tissues haven't gotten any stronger yet. And that's a real stupid fucking place you can get yourself into. It, is it difficult to painfully eke out five pounds every time and immediately let your repetitions rise for a while? Yes. Does it feed your ego? No. Are you there to feed your ego? No, you're there to be safe and make progress. And a lot of times a good coach like Matt or somebody else like that is the person to bring you back and make sure you're focusing on the right shit versus like Anadrol's in the blood. Let's do dumb shit. And I think yeah, that was gold right there. Out of interest, Matt, do you think, I know uh, previously I've heard you speak about you moved from a higher volume approach to a lower volume approach. Do you think that was at all coincided with you improving on some of these aspects where you were getting better quality? You focused so much on quantity that maybe it took away from the quality. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe oh, you were was, just... That, that right there was a turning point in my entire development as an athlete. Um, so I did a contest prep with Justin Compton for the Arnold Classic in 2015 and we trained seven days a week and basically it, I I didn't train seven days a week because I thought it was the best for me I trained seven days a week because I wanted to be a part of an experience with him and that's what he wanted to do um, so after that I was so beat up 
that I, I just like, that's when I really dug into like the volume versus just um, the volume equation and, and really what seemed most beneficial for me and more of the DC principles and putting together that kind of system. And, and then from that point forward, that's when I really started to change in terms of my own physique. And I, and I've honestly never looked back since. I mean, the only time that I'll train higher volume will be just for one workout when a bunch of guys get together and we're just having fun. And it's more so about having fun within that moment rather than my specific progress on that day. Um, but yeah, that for me, that for sure was a turning point in me. Um, I went, once I started a lower volume approach, that's when I really started to put tissue on and, you know, at a quick rate. And was that out of interest, what's a uh, low volume for you? Just if, if you have like a general, what that might mean in like set, like set eight numbers, sets near, eight sets to near failure per six to eight sets per body part. Uh, per week. Um, per workout or per week? Per workout, and I would say max like 10 per week. Okay. So quite, I guess, for Mike's volume recommendation, well, the kind of evidence-based volume recommendations quite to the lower end. For 180-pound Natties, absolutely. Yeah. Low. For the kind of person Matt is and the kind of guys he trains, that's right in the run, the thick of things. Yeah, because the amount of disruption you can do with one set rises if you get real big and real strong. Um, notice also per workout, six to eight sets, Krieger's Lit Review shows roughly eight sets to be the optimal maximum adaptive volume on an average. Already that's just that's right there. I over my forget about the science and the research and stuff that I've read and the tons of people I've worked with to derive these similar values. In my own training, I've noticed over years and years and years, and I started noticing this like 10 years ago, if not more, after you do about eight hard working sets properly for a muscle group in a workout, it's just not clear to me in many cases what is being accomplished after that. Um, and I'll put something sort of ecological to it. If you do a workout where you do four sets of high bar squats for like eight to 12, and then four sets of leg presses for anywhere between 10 to 20 sets, full range of motion, close to failure. The pump you have at the end of that, those eight sets doesn't get any better if you do more sets. And as a matter of fact, systemically, you're so tired that you literally just feel like you're going through the motions. But some guys like, you guys have already seen these pro workouts where they're like, started out with squats, then moved to leg press, then hack squat, then leg extension, then lunges. And it's like, what is it that you think you're getting out? How do you feel after set number 10? And, and you know, a lot of guys, back to Matt's earlier point, they don't run. They're not training five RIR even. They're training seven RIR. So yeah, they can do a 20 set workout with the whole fucking thing's a warm up and they need right. 20 sets to get it done. When you're actually at really three reps in reserve or less in your high quality movements, you're sinking super deep into your hack squats. Dude, you just can't do that much work. You don't need that much work. And every time my colleague, James Hoffman, we do a webinar every week where we talk about people's training and they ask us questions. If we see someone say that they need 
like 30 or more working sets of a muscle group, especially like back or legs per week to progress. James gives them the skeptical eyebrow where it's like, I really need to see your technique and your level of effort. So I don't believe you. There's an off chance you need that much volume, but you're probably your quality of your training sucks, whether it's your externally viewed technique, because you're not using your quads. I don't know what else to tell you. People do lunges and they go like a third of the way down and it's all glute. And you're like, yeah, that's cool that you're moving around, but let me show you how to do a real lunge. Like, oh my God, my quads, like no fucking shit. And also you're not pushing it nearly as close to failure as you thought you were. And look, I'm the guy saying that you don't need to go to failure. You can do one, two, three RIR and get great results. But a true one, two, and three RIR is something you don't see in the gym very often because a lot of people or a lot of guys who think they're going close aren't really actually going close, especially with that good technique. A combination of good technique for the muscle and going close to failure after that, you just usually don't need much more than 10 sets per muscle group per session. You just don't because there's nothing left to give at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a really nice point even that you make there immediately, Mike, where a lot of people will look at maybe someone like Matt who's quite popular and maybe the people he trains and they might be the 180 natural guy and they'll be like, oh, Matt only trains with this much volume, so maybe that's how much I should and uh, Matt, you you talk about this a lot, and I know Mike, you talk about it all the time with like individualization of these variables. Like it might be that that works for Matt, and that might be low volume for him, whereas that could be like on the, the higher end or the, like a the way under for someone else because it's it's all individual to that person. But what you have both made here, that the point that I think is really important to drive home is that quality. Everything has to start with quality execution, close to failure, and quality repetition. Uh, sorry, yeah, quality sets because. You can't then know if it's too much or too little because you haven't got the right kind of thing that you're trying to do uh, from the, the, the starting point. When I work with younger guys, this is kind of like, especially because we're working with a lot of people via email, what I like to try to do with them is I like to try to put them in a scenario where they can achieve absolute failure. And, and for a younger population, when I'm not with them, I actually get them on a hill so I get them either on a hill or on a sprint bike or on a spin bike or something like that. And I, and I get them to experience the feeling of what true failure feels like. And then I correlate. So that's kind of step number one for me. Step number two is then we then go back to technique and we work on basically replicating. Let's use squat. For example, I want you to do five sets of 10 on squat where every single rep looks the exact same. I want you to film all these. And then once you can accomplish that, that's when I want you to start to shift into getting that feeling within a set of squatting that you then experience within something of your control, like that sprint cycle on a bike, you know, so I tell them to max pedal on a bike for 40 seconds and they might fail at 23 seconds. And I'm like, okay, great. You know what that now feels like. Okay. So then, then trying to get them to replicate that within a controlled environment, once form is intact, that's, I think the best way that we can really teach failure to somebody that it could be so foreign to them you know you have to get them in an environment of something that's stable and safe for them first because if they don't know form and technique you're never going to get them to fail properly within a barbell movement or you know something like that so you got to make it relevant to something that they can understand and that's why i like throwing people on a bike um because that, that way they can experience what that feeling feels like and then just translate it over to a barbell movement or, or whatever it might be in that, you know, that instance. Yeah, I really like that. I think it's, it's like everyone says, you, you don't know it until you've kind of been there and experienced it. And sure. 
Uh, I think, like you said, starting with the quality technique and making things harder over time, you, you're going to eventually get to the point where if you're keeping those quality consistent reps, you're going to get to that point anyway, even if you weren't there at the start. <laughs> it's so hard, though, psychologically to continue to focus on quality as you approach failure. Like Jared will yell at his guys that he uh, he doesn't train anyone in person, but when he does get a chance to train his athletes in person and his, in his own coaching he does a ton of YouTube stuff where he looks at all the videos and he gives commentary. I remember we were training Ethan Suplee and Jared kept telling him midway through leg press sets where the guy is basically half dead. He's like, we're stimulating the muscle. We're not just moving late. We're stimulating the muscle. And he's giving cues like press from your heels, go all the way down, control the eccentric because it's so easy in a set. Like you're on unbelievable pain and you told yourself 15 reps. So you kind of just do whatever it takes, move however it is to check off the 15 reps. You're like, okay, I finished. Like, no, 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 no. When you say 15 reps, that's a maybe. Every single rep is its own rep. Quality, quality, quality. And whether you hit 15 or not, look, if you hit 13 and really start struggling, quality always stays. Push close to failure through that quality vector. If you have to get outside of it to get to failure, you're not really training anymore. You're just moving weight around and then you pay the price with joint stuff, systemic fatigue. And again, it's not even a pain of price. Somebody could ask you like, hey, why are you here on this machine right now? And you're like, to stimulate my quads. Like, mm -hmm. but I noticed you're just you're using your hips on this. And you're like, mm -hmm. but I had to get 15 reps. And they're like, why? You're like, to stimulate my quads. And like, so wouldn't you use your quads for that? And it turns into this fucking vicious circle. If you're just lying to yourself, like use your quads, every rep high quality, as you approach failure, everything in the world is going to want to split you away from that to not just use your quads and use everything you can. Always work back, use your quads, quads, quads. And eventually you guys know what quad-based failure feels like. You just push and nothing happens. And then the shit falls on you and someone drags you out and you're like, okay, I did it. And then your quads get a huge benefit and everything else doesn't have to be in the picture. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone wants to do that. And it takes a long time to change that. Cool. I think, uh, Mike, I know you need to kind of go soon. So I want to wrap this up. And I, I, I think might have to get, well, I'm sure you'll both come back on the podcast because this has been a really great chat and I'd love to keep going. I don't know if Matt, you had anything else you wanted to add just finally on that point? No, I mean, I think that was fantastic. Cool. I think despite not having ages to be able to talk with both of you, I think we've driven home some really, really important points for like the sport of bodybuilding right here, particularly around the training practice and also just longevity and health in general. So um, thank you both for this discussion. I want to make sure people know where to reach you, Matt. So where's the best place to reach out to you? Instagram's great. It's just Matt Jansen eight. Um, and then my email is Matt at camp dash Jansen.com. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's all linked below. And I know Mike, People should know where to reach you, but you also have now released your hypertrophy ebook. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast yet. So I just want to let people know that, but you're obviously RP. Thanks so much. We'll get me on to talk about the book at some other point. For sure. Cool. Thank Guys, so thank you so much for this. I know people really enjoy it and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course.
Your Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also gonna be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.